listening to the Echo Community Church Podcast. We have a passion for being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope this podcast inspires you to take another step. Let's join our pastor for today's teaching from the Bible. This is going to be the last message I have in this particular series on a disciple's work. We've been talking about work, and we love talking about work, but we're not talking about like work, like what you do um, for 40, 50, 60 hours the week vocation. We're talking about the work that disciples do. What we've landed on and what the Bible teaches us is that a follower of Jesus, that's a disciple, a fully committed, fully devoted follower of Jesus, our work is to live wisely among people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, to live wisely among them, make friends, uh, do life together, work alongside one another, play alongside one another, have fun, do business together, live wisely among unbelievers. That's part of our work. But there's a reason for that. We're supposed to be living wisely among unbelievers in order that we can have some conversations with them. Part of a disciple's work is to have conversations, believe it or not. But we want to have significant spiritual conversations in which we can learn two things about the people that we're living life alongside. We want to know where are they spiritually in their spiritual journey because we're all on a spiritual journey. We want to know where they are. Are they moving closer to Jesus? Are they drifting farther away from him? Does it look to our eyes that they're just kind of just orbiting and floating along? And the second thing we want to learn is how can God use me? For some reason, on this big blue marble among all the 7 billion people out there, he dropped me off in a geographic place and a time in the same circle as this other person. How can God use me as his instrument to help draw them closer to Jesus? That's our work to be building relationships, friendships, meaningful relationships among people who don't know him so that we can get into conversations in which we talk to them about spiritual things and hopefully God uses us as an instrument to draw them closer to Jesus. So we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. Today, I just want to, and we'll get right to it because I know there's weather coming down outside. Today, um, there's two stories, and, and, and don't be offended by the word story. The Bible's filled with stories and human beings like stories. Okay, so I'm just using that where we like stories. Um, they're easy to listen to. They draw you in. The Bible is filled with stories. The Bible is, in fact, a story. It's an amazing book because it tells one continuous story from Genesis to Revelation. It tells us where we came from, what went wrong, and what God's going to do about it, what he's already done about it. That's what the Bible, that's the whole story of the Bible. And then it has all these little individual stories that are not just randomly inserted in there. All those stories together, stitched together, tell the big story about where we came from what went wrong, and what God's done about it. That's what the Bible, it's a, it's a big story. But what it really boils down to, I'll give you the big idea, and I think I might be giving that backwards to the tech team. I think I was going to read the scriptures first and then the big idea, but here we are. Um, the big idea is that when it comes to leading a friend to Jesus, it really boils down to two things. I, I forget all the formulas. When your spiritual conversations lead you to a point where you might have a friend who's ready to say yes to Jesus, getting to that point in, in a conversation or in a friendship or in a relationship with a family member, it boils down to two things, two things you have to have going on. You have to have a deep, personal understanding of Jesus' story, the gospel. It has to be a deep understanding, but it has to be a personal understanding. 
That's why I say forget the formulas. I don't want to give you a sales tactic. Memorize these few things and just repeat it. It needs to be personal. Coming through the life of someone who's not only able to explain it, but lived it and believed it. The second thing is you have to have the ability to communicate that deep understanding of Jesus' story clearly to the people we talk to. Okay? I want to make it very simple. When, it really com- when, it, when we really boil down what you've got to have going on in your life to effectively give a friend of yours the opportunity to say yes or to say no to a relationship with Jesus. Here's the two things. You've got to have a deep personal understanding of Jesus' story. And then you have to be able to use your story and your words to be able to clearly communicate that message to the people we talk to. Where do we come up with that idea? It's all through the New Testament. I'm going to give you two um, passages of Scripture that, that we anchor this idea on. The main one I want to share with you is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Usually, you know, when you guess who wrote this book in the New Testament, the answer is Paul. This is an exception. Who wrote 1 Peter? Peter did. There we go. Okay. Um, who has an awesome story, by the way? Have, are, are any of you, by raise of hand, you're familiar with a little bit of Peter's life and his story? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what his name means? What does Peter or Cephas mean? Do you know what his name means? It means very good. Oh, see, I hope you heard that at home. I would say like nearly 100% of the people in here knew that. Rock. His name means rock. Remember what Jesus said, you know, upon this, you know, I will build my church upon the rock, right? Um, and he says... Peter says to us, and Peter's is such a great story. He's one, of my, he's one of my favorite of the apostles. We get a lot of his life. He has some really, really, really high moments. And he has some really embarrassing moments. And the Bible doesn't shy away from that. The Bible wants us to see the cracks and the flaws in the people, the historical figures that we read about. Because it, the beautiful thing is that Jesus didn't go after perfect people. He went after people who had insecurities who were wishy-washy at times. Peter, I identify so much with him. My favorite verse, I've shared this a million times. You could probably quote it now. When he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and there's this crazy thing going on that we're still trying to figure out what all that means. James Yates preached a great message on that. So I'll let, he has the final word on it, but um, you can go listen to it. Peter's up there and he's seeing some crazy God moment stuff. And, he, and, the, and, the, and the, the gospel writers say, and Peter not knowing what he should say, <laughs> said. <laughs> One of my favorite Peter verses in the whole Bible, because that's totally a Phil Nauer thing. Like, like, when in doubt, most of you are wise enough that, you know, what, was it Abraham Lincoln who say, said, you know, rather people think you, you a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubts? I'm the opposite. Whenever there's, you know, like, oh, I wonder what I should say here. Well, I better just start talking and hope I talk my way into it, you know. And um, so I identify a lot with him. He writes this letter a couple a couple decades after walking personally with Jesus. So he's grown in his relationship with the Lord. And even after Jesus went home to heaven and God sent the apostles out on their assignment, Peter is still thriving and going for Christ. Here's a guy who, you know, moments before Jesus goes to the cross is still living with a lot of insecurity in his life about what people would think about him if they found out he was a follower of Jesus. Do you remember that? He's the guy who denied Jesus three times and said, I don't know him because he was afraid that if they outed him, he, they'd start beating on him just like Jesus. And so he was following, he was, he was the last one following Jesus, which was a good thing. Everybody else had bolted at that point. But there was a point in Peter's life, the Bible shows us, where he was still very insecure about what people would think of him socially or politically or legally if he really fully identified with Jesus. And at that point, he was still distancing himself. 
It's that same guy who a couple decades later says this, which is so cool when you look at now where he's come full circle. He says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, now how would he have answered this 30 years ago? <laughs> Find a way out real quick. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. How cool is that? Always be ready to explain it. So already there's some credibility in what he's saying to us because I'm like, here is a guy who didn't always master this but has come full circle in the life to the point where he eventually refused to renounce Jesus and they martyred him for it. Okay, so here's a guy who walked so close to Jesus, the more he walked to Jesus, the less and less insecure he became. The more and more confident and secure in Jesus he was and the more passionate for souls he was. He was willing to take some risks in order to get in conversations. He talks about... Um, in this verse, if I unpack it real quick, let me, let me skip ahead. I want to be good on time. There's just a couple things. These are not in your notes. They're not on the screen. If you like to write things down, great. Otherwise, listen. In. If you ask me to just pull a couple statements out of this verse, what do I think Peter is sharing to us? First thing I'd say is he's telling us that leading another person to Jesus is not something you just leave to the professionals. He's assuming when he says you, he's talking to a whole group of people. He's not just talking to one person. He's talking to a whole bunch of Christians. He's saying, Basically, what he's saying is every Christian, every disciple can and should be ready, willing, and able to lead a friend to Jesus on our own. Without your pastor, without your mentor, without your small group leader there. What he's saying is you are capable of doing this. You can be, you should be capable of leading a friend to Jesus. Don't just think you're going to leave it to the professionals. It, you, the idea used to be, we used to look at the finish line as success is when my friend says yes to attending a church service, and I bring them here and hope to God the pastor's not talking about tithing or marriage or, I mean, and if I brought them to church and they didn't cross the line of faith, I did my part. The pastor blew it. You know, sometimes the pastor blows it. Um, but at the end of the day, the teaching of the New Testament isn't that we just leave that to the professionals. The teaching of the Bible is that every one of us as disciples can and should be willing, ready, and able to lead a friend to Jesus on our own. Second thing I see from this is that if you walk close to God, you're worshiping Christ as your Lord, you've got an active life with Jesus. It really boils down to two things. Are you studying your Bible, and is it studying you? And, and what's your, what does prayer look like for you? If, you're, if you live a life of prayer, and, you're, and you are spending time in the Bible, studying it, thinking about it, asking it questions, and letting it ask you questions, and if you're, talking, if you're talking with other believers, if it's not taboo for you to talk about Jesus with other people who are in your Christian family, one of the bad assumptions I've probably made is that you're all ready to go talk to unbelievers about Jesus because you're comfortable talking to believers about Jesus. What I'm finding is that there's lots of people sitting in churches all over the world today who don't have spiritual conversations among Christians. You're not talking to your kids, your parents, your spouse, your brothers and your sisters in church. We talk about everything. We might even talk about church. Oh, did you see what the pastor wore today? Another vest. You know, like you see, we can talk about all kinds of things. But when's the last time you said, hey, you know, Tell me about the last time that, that God spoke to you in a clear and unmistakable way. Or, hey, who are, I'm feeling a little discouraged with the person I'm, I've been praying for, caring for, and sharing for. 
how's it going with you? Can you give me a test? Pump me up a little bit. Talk me up a little bit. Tell me about how it's going with you. Or, um, man, this thing the pastor said on Sunday, I'm not sure if I understood him correctly. What do you think he was saying? If we can't have those conversations here, I'm not setting you up well to have them with someone who doesn't believe Jesus. The way you practice and you get ready and you make it easier to talk about spiritual things is by having spiritual conversations in safe environments. It prepares you to be able to talk about Jesus with people who might not know him, okay? If you walk close to God and you walk close to people, he's telling us you're going to have opportunities. He assumes if you're walking close to God and the someone who, does it, who isn't a believer sees something different about your life, they're going to ask you about it. What he's saying is if you're walking close to God and you're walking close to people, you're going to have opportunities to talk about God to people who don't know him. Just plan for it, expect it, assume it. Our actions, the way we care, open up opportunities for conversations, share. Words that we use, conversations that we have, they illuminate the truth of the gospel and they give people a clear pathway to new life by putting their faith in Jesus. And the third thing I'd pull out of this verse we need to know the gospel, cold. <laughs> we need to know Jesus' story. We have to have a deep, personal understanding of the gospel. That doesn't mean you need to have a seminary degree. That doesn't mean that you need to have every verse of the New Testament memorized. But it does mean if you're going to explain the reason for your hope as a believer, you have to have hope as a believer. And you have to understand why you have that hope. And that hope transforms you and that grace changes you and salvation has made your old life dead and buried in Jesus and God's given you a new life and that new life is bubbling out and it's creating evidence and credibility for your words and Peter puts it all together to say that if if you are living close to Jesus and you're worshiping him someone who doesn't walk close to Jesus is going to ask you about it and you need to be ready to explain it you need to know his story and you need to be able to explain your story in light of his story. That's what he's putting together here. Now, let me just give you a short disclaimer here. If you only focus on what to say and how to say it, here's, here's why I'm not advocating that you just memorize a few paragraphs and just be ready to spit it back out. Um, our words and our conversations are only credible when they're reinforced, by valid, reinforced and validated by our own actions. This is true in all of life. Do you want a person who's constantly in debt and struggling to make ends meet being your financial advisor? Of course not. I had a friend of mine who got into real estate, and um, he was explaining why he needed to buy a nicer car. Now, he and I don't agree in the, I wouldn't agree in all of the rationale he got to, but he said this. He said, you know, the person who mentored me in real estate said, you know, when I'm pulling up to meet a client who's thinking about buying a house, and I want to be their representative. Is that, I'm trying to pull it away from my face, not sure. Okay. It's just one of those things that will shock me every few moments. And then <laughs> I start, the first one did, I just started sweating right away. It scared me so bad. Okay. I'm going to just sit very still. And I'm not going to move. This must be an important part, right? I have a friend who, um, he said, you know, I need to go buy a Lexus. I'm not knocking, okay, it's not a message about Lexus. Alan, I'm still committed to Honda. Okay, still committed. 
And he says, you know, my mentor in real estate said when you pull up to meet a new client, you want them to feel confident that they can represent you well. And he said, and if I'm pulling up in my 13-year-old Ford Escort with three-tone paint <laughs> and I hop out of that car, I realize they're human enough to look at this and say, has this guy ever sold a house? Can he afford to live? And he said, it kind of interferes with my credibility. And he said, I want to conduct myself in business in such a way that I have... I'm just going to switch over because this is scaring the life out of me. I'm going to conduct myself in such a way that I don't do anything to interfere with my credibility. And so everything we're talking about today, we can have all the words, all the formulas, and there's plenty. And, 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 and relax, I'm not going to roll out to you the 150 different ways you can explain the gospel to you this morning, okay? That's not, um, that's not my, my motive today. I don't want to just give you formulas and tips and hacks. At the end of the day, as simple as I can make it, a life transformed by the gospel authentically, sincerely, genuinely invites people's curiosity. And all you have to do is just in the most simple, what's the best way to explain the gospel? Whatever way is simplest and most genuine to you that's accurate. You can take one verse like John 3.16 and explain the gospel. We choose songs here to sing. That if you have a hard time memorizing things, the very first song that we sang this morning has most of the gospel inside of it. You wrestle with the sinner's heart, right? Remember your promise. Your grace is enough for me. So what do I do when I recognize I'm broken and I can't fix myself? And um, when God's made a promise, well, what promises has he made? Now we're setting you up that if I confess my sins, he'll forgive me, that he'll cleanse me from unrighteousness, that if I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and you know, if I confess in my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead. He promised that I'll be saved. Well, how can I know that I'll be saved? It's by God's grace. You don't have to do the work. He did it. God's grace and my faith. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. If you can memorize a worship song, that can tumble out of your lips. And the fact of the matter is your words will be so much, you don't have to put as much pressure on having all of a long theology lined up if you live a credible life that's been changed by the gospel. Because they're going to be like, really? That's it? Yes. That's why you can live with hope even while the market is crashing and, and COVID's running rampant? Yes. That's why you haven't gotten angry and stopped attending your church on Sunday simply because you lost your job recently? Yes. Okay? So those are the things that I lift out of that verse. I need to go uh, much more quickly let me just give you, um, here's the two stories. Let me give you the basics. Here's the basics. We need to really know Jesus' story, and we need to be able to share our story. And in the growth groups that we have coming up that are launching, we're going to go into much more detail about helping you. A lot of these things work better in a smaller group where you can have some conversation and interaction, and you can take turns sharing different parts of your story and, and, and getting more comfortable with that. That's hard to do in a group of ours where you have 40, 50, 60, 70 people in church at once. But really, what we're talking about with Jesus' story, here's the basics. It's not about formulas. It's about the message. And there's really four basics in Jesus' story. We've got to talk about God. 
You just need to understand a couple things about God to be able to share with others. What's the basics? That God is our creator. He made us. He is loving. He is not vindictive. He's not mean. He's not unfair. He's loving. That's why he made us. Well, why did God make us? One reason. God made us so that we can be, complete, we can be forever inseparable with him. That's why. God made you to be inseparable with him. That's all he's ever wanted is to be with you and you to be with him. He wants to share everything that he has with us, everything. And he wants you to be able to share everything that you are with him. That's all he wants. That's all he's ever wanted. That's why he made you. That's why he made the earth to share it with you. That's why he gave you life so that you could be together. That's it. That's all he's ever wanted. He is holy. That means he's completely pure. No evil, not even a modicum of evil in God. He's not connected with evil. He's not associated with evil. He doesn't give a wink at evil. He's completely holy. But he's also just. That means God believes in everybody getting what they deserve. The truth of the matter is we we believe that too, usually as it applies to other people. We want other people to get what they deserve. We want grace. We want everybody else to get what they deserve. But we need to understand that's who God is. That's part of the basic of Jesus' story. The second thing we need to understand, the second basic, we need to understand something about us. First of all, God made us. You didn't evolve from a monkey or from an amoeba. God created us. And when God made human beings, the original design was we were good. But all of us, beginning with Adam and Eve, we've all ultimately turned away from God. God made us, gave us a place to live, and even gave us some some boundaries. Live inside these boundaries and life's going to be good for you. You won't even have to work. You can name the animals and they'll listen to you. You don't have to wear clothes. You don't have to, you don't have to get a paycheck. We can just enjoy one another. But it didn't take long before human beings to say, well, but I'm kind of curious, and this would make me happy. This would make me pleasurable. I don't know if God really meant thus and so. I'm going to trust my own judgment. I'm going to follow what I think is good and pleasurable and make me happy. It's right here in front of me, and I can't resist it. And all of us, all of us recognize this, that we turned away from him and became evil. Now, that's kind of an offensive word. We don't want to think of ourselves as evil. We think it's only really, really, really bad people. But the truth is turning away from God is the result of evil. That's because evil just bubbles up in us. And we all know this. Why do we readily agree with things as one of our quick excuses? Listen, I'm only human. That's a confession that we realize we're broken. That's God wrestling with our hearts. Or about this one. Listen, nobody's perfect. It's a confession that we realize there's a brokenness here. And you say, well, but didn't you just say that God's loving? Oh, yeah, he keeps loving us, but he's also holy. And what was the main reason he wanted us to be together? To be inseparable. Well, can a holy God be inseparable with evil of any form? 
if he does that, then he's no longer holy. And if he's no longer holy, he's no longer God. That's the major problem here. Because all of us are, we're only human and nobody's perfect. That means we're separated from God. We're not inseparable. We're separated from him. We can't be together with him and he can't be together with us. And that's a serious thing. Because God wants us to be together not only in this life, but in all of eternity. That after this life is over, there's still a life that goes on. And the problem for God is that if we leave this life being unreconciled with him, and if we're still separated from him, we will spend eternity separated from him in death, the grave, and hell. And because God's loving, he's not willing that anybody should perish. But he felt hopeless as that man can't build a... Man can't build a bridge back to God. We can't make ourselves unevil. We can't fix ourselves. We've all tried. We still try. But that's where the story pivots because the third basic of Jesus' story is thank, thank God there's Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is fully God, is the Son of God. And God gave Jesus an assignment that only he could carry out. He asked Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth and take on flesh and blood. And he didn't come as a military leader or a king. He didn't even show up as an adult. He could have, but he didn't. He showed up as the most frail, weak, least intimidating thing. You can think of a little naked baby. But he lived a life very different than we've lived. He became what we call the God-man. He was fully God, but he was fully a person too. He lived a sinless life. He never turned from God. You know, the first Adam in the Bible, he turned from God. He failed the test in the garden. Jesus became like a second Adam who came to the earth, was created good wasn't created. He always was. It's okay. Let me pull that part out. Jesus wasn't created. He always was. Shifted forms. But he lived a sinless life. Never turned away from God. Was convicted of a crime he did not commit. And he was put to death by the Romans. He physically died. But the Bible tells us what happened is Jesus recognized the big problem. Remember, we were separated from God by sin. And you might be asking, well, how, how do we get rid of sin? Do we just stop sinning? No, sin is a crime against God and every crime carries a penalty. Now in this world, we like this. Most of us don't want a lawless society. We want there to be prisons or we want there to be rules and laws to some degree and we want people who break the law and endanger us to have to pay a penalty for it. A penalty commensurate with the crime they committed. We don't want there to be lawlessness. We don't want people to do whatever they want. Why do we not want people to do whatever we want? Because we're afraid that people will do bad things. And why is that? Because we're convinced there's something broken inside of our society. We already know this. We don't disagree with the facts. You might agree with the gospel more than you think you do. And God says to us in his book, Romans 6.23, that the penalty of sin and evil is death. That means every time I sin against God, the penalty attached to it is death. 
And you might say, well, listen, I am willing to pay off my debt to God so that I can be inseparable with him again. Okay. Do you have enough lives available to pay off the number of sins? You got one life. You want to pay off a million-dollar debt with a quarter? It's not going to work. Even if you wanted to make things right with God on your own, you couldn't. So here was God's plan of salvation. I will send Jesus to earth. And if he can successfully complete the assignment of living a sinless life against me, I will accept the payment of one perfect life as complete payment, backwards and forwards, for all sin ever. I'll accept that payment to pay off everybody's debt. And Jesus was successful. He lived a sinless life. And when he went to the cross, he wasn't dying for his own sins. He had no sins to die for. He went as a substitute for you and for me. And his perfect blood, it was completely clean, was poured out on that cross. And he totally, clinically died. And he was buried. And if the story just ends there, it's not a really happy story. Because then there was no resurrection from the dead. That just means death is final. But the reason we can be confident that God accepted his payment is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's like the receipt. When you go to the store, you get a receipt that proves that you paid for it. Jesus' resurrection is the receipt. And if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, if you believe the stubborn historical facts presented in the Bible and reinforced about all history that Jesus rose from the dead, now you have hope because the fourth basic of the story is this. What about you? You have the opportunity to say, yes, I believe what the Bible tells me about me, what the Bible tells me about God, and what the Bible tells me about Jesus. I recognize I have a sinful heart. I recognize I'm separated from God. But I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to receiving forgiveness. I want to say yes to his lordship over my life. And I want to say yes to welcoming him to make up his home inside of me so I can be inseparable with God again. You have the right to say yes or say no to that. That's the basics of the gospel. You don't have to use all those words. You just have to need the, the basics about God, the basics about us, the basics about Jesus. You just have to know those couple basic things about God, about us, about Jesus and you personally. Okay? That's all you have to know. And like I said, the best method for sharing this with people is whatever way is most authentic and most sincere to you. You know, you have a story too. I'll go through this quickly. A lot of times you might have an opportunity to share your story even before you have a chance to share Jesus' story. But we want to show how your story and Jesus' story interact and intersect. And I'll just read through these very, very quickly because we've got to get to our conversation with my friend Gary. Um, your story has basically three components to it. First component of your story is what was your life like before you served Jesus, before you met Jesus? And when you're thinking about telling your story, if you're me... <laughs> Well, that was only the first eight years of my life, and it's okay at the beginning of your story to say, well, I can't remember a time in my life where I didn't believe in God. I always believed in God. That was my story. You know, when you talk about thinking about, uh, you know, what values were important to me or what did my life revolve around the most, I mean, at eight years old, um, that wasn't really developed, but I can tell you my life before Jesus, even at eight years old, 
I, like, I knew God and I believed in God, but there is a deep part. Of, I wanted to please him. And I, the older that I got, I started recognizing I'm a pretty sinful dude, even at eight. And that's okay to share with people. But when you're thinking, here's a couple questions to help you pull together your story that will help relate to people. Before you came to Christ, before you really committed your life, what was most important to you in life before then? I recently listened to um, the testimony of a former Major League Baseball player by the name of Daryl Strawberry, who's had a radical conversion with Jesus. And he says, man, before I knew God, he said, I was rich, I was famous, I had cars, I was an alcoholic, I had any woman I wanted, any vehicle I wanted, but I was completely empty. He said, money motivated me, women motivated me, pleasure motivated me. And he broke that all down to you. He says, I didn't realize that a car is a car is a car, and no matter what kind of car you buy, they eventually all break down. And a house is a house is a house, and I didn't realize all you're going to do is sleep in it and fill it with junk. He said, but before I met Jesus, those are the things that I valued. So what values before you met Jesus were important to you? What did your life revolve around most? I sat with, after this Bible study this past Wednesday night, I went out to, to eat with a couple. I will never go out to eat at 9 o'clock at night again. 8 is usually my bedtime, and that was a terrible, terrible idea. But I did it in the name of fellowship. I went out to eat. And uh, I'm sitting across the table from the guy who had just recently celebrated his 70th birthday. And he says, you know, um, I used to spend all my life in the gym, and I still do. And I'm like, dude, what am I doing with my life? Like, he's like, I still power lift. I'm like, man, no wonder. I'm not shocked by that. But he talks about how that was, you know, fitness and work is what his life, fitness, work, and hobbies is what his life revolved around. And then I said, well, how did you hear about the Lord then if you were always in the gym? He said, in 1996, I gave my life to Jesus in that gym. Someone was sent into that gym who was working out there. He said, to this day, that's the number one place where I share my faith and lead people to Jesus. He goes through more of our what's next boxes than anybody else. He's constantly leading people to Jesus at the gym. It's kind of a neat story. So what values before Jesus? You can keep going. From what did you get your happiness? Another thing to think about before I knew Jesus. What really made me happy before Christ? Another thing. And how did those things ultimately let you down? So if you're thinking about how to frame your story for people, when they ask you, explain, you go to church every Sunday, explain that to me, why you do that? Well, it's not just about going to church, but, man, before I was a church-going person, before I knew Jesus, here's what made me happy in life. Here's what was most important to me. I mean, every Sunday I was, you know, I, it, it, you know it was work and football and hobbies, but whatever it was. But I ultimately recognized that those things couldn't get at some of the deeper issues in my life. So life before Jesus, first part of your story. Second part of your story, how Jesus intersected your life. Or what, tell me about your experience when you said yes to Jesus. A couple questions there. What was the first, do you remember the first time you were exposed to dynamic Christianity? I think you know what I mean by that. Someone who was really saved. What was your reactions? The first time you met somebody who was completely transformed by the gospel. How did you respond to them? What did you think? Um, I remember hearing one of the young ladies hear her testimony. She, uh, and I'm not using her name, but many of you will know who she is. She, she found Jesus while she was a student at Penn State University. And for months before she got saved, she attended church services because from her faith background, it, wasn't, it was a good idea to explore what other religions believed. And I remember her telling me, she said, you know, Pastor, don't ever feel like you have to apologize because I don't feel this way. But don't feel like you have to apologize when people are exuberant in their prayers or their worship at church. Don't think that it's off-putting to those of us that are seeking to know Jesus. She said, I remember one of the things that spoke to my heart most deeply was when I went to church as a total unbeliever. When I watched people in that room, my age, who looked like me, lifting their hands and closing their eyes while they worshipped. Or 
praying along with the pastor or saying amen or opening their Bible, she's like, it started to resonate in my heart. These people are really sincere and serious about what they believe. And you know, the first time she was confronted with dynamic Christianity, which I might call normal Christianity, right? That's another message for another day. Um, a lot of things we think are just uh, <laughs> these advanced levels of Christianity, the Bible just not normal following Jesus stuff, right? But she just says it was so appealing to me and made me want to understand what was it about their faith or their belief in this Jesus or their understanding of God that I lack? Because I don't feel that same way when I'm here, and it's just amazing. So when did you begin to feel positively towards Christianity? Not everybody does. Some of us start off feeling uncertain, skeptical, animosity, hostility towards Christianity. Maybe this question, when did you entertain the idea of becoming a Christian and why and what was motivating to you? So it's just some questions to help you start thinking about your story when someone asks you to explain the differences in your life. Okay, Life before Jesus, how Jesus, uh, any struggles you had in making the decision, what were you afraid of? Why do you want to share those things? Because you're helping that person feel safe and confessing those same things to you. Because a great question, when you get to share part of your story with somebody, a great question to end that conversation with, if the time is right, is to say, is there any reason at this point that you wouldn't want me to lead you in a prayer of saying yes to Jesus? And if you've already described your own struggles, you're giving them a vocabulary to maybe articulate their own and it helps you pinpoint how God can continue to use them to draw them closer to Jesus. And then the third thing, um, my life after receiving salvation. We don't want to leave this part out. This is why your actions have to be credible. Because if your life after salvation looks identical to your life before salvation, I question what happened at salvation for you. Okay? What changes in your life did you begin to see after saying yes to Jesus? My favorite, favorite part of the story, going back to the, the meal I had Wednesday night, way too late. I'm sitting across the table with this guy, turned 70. Um, you know, he says, in 1996, I got saved at the gym. And he's like, no, I was a power lifter. And I'm looking, at him, I'm like, okay, I believe you. Yeah, you're 70 in better shape than me. Um, he said, you know, I, I was a power lifter. I lifted heavy weights. And he said, I will never forget. And he got a little choked up. He said, I will never forget when I said yes to Jesus in the gym, I felt as though 1,200 pounds got lifted off my shoulders. He said, I felt like I was floating off of the ground. I did not realize the weight my sin was putting on me until it was lifted off of me. Wow. And as I'm hearing that across the table, I'm saying, you know what's crazy? At eight years old is not a power lifter. And you've heard my story. I felt the same experience felt the same experience. What changes in your life did you begin to see after receiving salvation? Um, what day-to-day, this is a great one. We have to explain to people, what's the day-to-day benefit of me having faith? Simple one for me right now is my friend that I love, Ed, is not with me anymore. Played softball with this guy. Borrowed his pressure washer. He's one of my neighbors. Borrowed his pressure washer all the time. Most gentle, one of the, he is one of the best human beings I've ever known, Ed Marshak. And I am hurting, and I really, honestly, I didn't sleep well last night because I didn't really, I didn't want to come in and fake and pretend today that I'm super, super duper happy because I'm not, I'm sad. But you know what benefit my faith is to me? If I didn't have faith in the promises of Jesus for heaven, eternal life with him for those who know him, I would, I would feel like I would, I would be so doomed because I feel like I don't know where Ed is and I know I'll never be able to see him again. But because of my faith, doesn't mean that I don't have grief, but I grieve differently. I don't grieve as someone who doesn't have hope. I don't grieve as someone who thinks this life is final. 
This is just preparation for what is eternal. So those things help me in these times. That's a huge, today, that's a huge day-to-day benefit for my faith. And how has Christ changed your existing relationships? Okay, is that, I think, is that the last one I have on there for that one? Okay, and then sometimes you can give them an opportunity to respond, and I'll talk more about this next month. Um, when you're done sharing your story with someone, a part of it, you can think of a thought-provoking question to ask at the end, so it encourages whoever you are talking to to, to respond to what they've heard. And a simple one is, well, what do you think about my story? That's a little of my story. What about yours? Okay. Or does that make sense to you? Is there anything in my story you can relate to? And if you sense they're being a little dismissive or they're discouraged or they just want to end the conversation, it's okay. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, hey, you know what, just think about this. And if you want to, if we, you know, mull this over for a little while, maybe sometime down the road we ask questions. Sometimes just not shoving something down someone's throat before they're really ready to think about it is the best thing you can do to set them up to say yes to Jesus long term. Okay, we're not trying to push them for a sale at the end of the conversation, hand them the pen, and they, you know, like the car salesman is like, you're not leaving here until you say yes or no to this new car. Now, if it's a Honda, it doesn't even go down that direction. You just want to buy that car right away. There's no argument. Okay. Um, I'm going to end the notes there because one of the things I've been most excited about is... Um, Carrie, if you want to come on up and join me, I'm going to let you sit in the comfortable seat. And I'll hand you, um, yeah, I'll give her this mic. You want to give her that one and I'll hold this one? This is Carrie Yang, for those of you who have not had the pleasure of getting to know Carrie. Carrie and Jean, her husband, are part of our church here. And I have known Carrie for several years. And the first time that I met Carrie, um, we were meeting in the high school, and I met her while she, shortly after she graduated from Salisbury State University. And um, three weeks ago after the sermon, we had a quick conversation at the end of the message, um, and it just started flooding this idea in my mind. She is someone who, she would identify herself as uh, someone who has been deeply impacted by the exact things we've been teaching specifically over the last three or four weeks. And so, Carrie, maybe you could go back and Help us understand, what was your life like spiritually when you left Baltimore County and you enrolled at Salisbury State University? Um, Yeah, so I always say it like this. Like, this isn't necessarily true, but this is how I think of it. Um, There's Christians, and then there are disciples of Christ. So I was a Christian. I believed in Jesus, and that impacted my life in zero ways. Whereas, Mm. like, a disciple of Christ believes in Jesus and their lives are transformed by that. Okay. So I went to school believing that Jesus existed, and that was it. Didn't change anything. It didn't impact me. He, he, he existed. The end. So say that again, I, because I've never heard a phrase like that, and I think that's really powerful. So you believed in Jesus, but he impacted you. You said zero. In zero there. ways. Zero ways. Wow. Have you ever been there? Uh, some of our journeys don't stop there. But, you know, you're kind of at that place where, okay, I believe in the facts, but they've not transformed me. Right. It doesn't drive the way that I live. I don't have an intellectual objection right. to it. I've accepted. There was no relationship there. That's an awesome, I think there's so many people we know that are stuck there, and they would define themselves as a disciple. They would put themselves on a spiritual journey, maybe on this, like, I'm, I'm good with God. Mm-hmm. But the reality is they don't see that. And isn't it cool, like, how God pursued you in that and didn't leave yeah. it you there? I, talk to me a little bit about how God used friendship, a friend that you made at Salisbury State as a vehicle to reach out to you in your life. Yeah, so um, 
I was in English 103. It was the freshman English class that everybody had to take. Um, and I sat next to this girl and she went out of her way to become friends with me, mm. like drastically out of her way to become friends with me. Um, and every morning after, I think we had a Tuesday or a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So every Monday, Wednesday, Friday after class, we would go and have breakfast together. It was her idea. And um, she was always trying to be better friends with me. And she was always inviting me to breakfast. And while we were at breakfast, sometimes she would like sprinkle these little things of faith in. And I'd be like, okay, that's weird. Like we're in college and you're in, in the, like, into Christ, Okay. But each time she would sprinkle those things in, it would be fascinating to me because, you know, I grew up in the church. It was there in my life. I believed in Jesus. But seeing how it impacted her life was interesting to me. Okay. And so that is what got me to start going to Crew, which is the campus organization that I got saved at, basically. And it was all because she would invite me out to breakfast. Because, you know, you make friends in class, but... You don't really see them after class. You see them on campus and you say hi. And, but she went out of her way to take me to breakfast every, every day after class. Wow. So uh, there's a couple things you said in there that just uh, really jumped up in my ears. One is just, I mean, when we think about prayer, care, share, and you understand that's one of the things that they teach in crew. Yeah. Um, and that we've gone through, uh, Pastor James, Pastor Zach, and I have, have voluntarily gone through some of their some of their training on how to just be more effective in sharing our faith. And so just this relentless interest in you and a pursuit of a friendship. But then the second thing that you said, we just talked about this morning, you said her life, she was talking about things that weren't unfamiliar to you, but you were very interested in those conversations just based upon, because like it was, she was really credible. Am I understanding yeah. correct? And she was authentic too. Okay. Which meant a lot to me. Have you seen the other side of that? You know, yes, let, okay. absolutely. And that to you, you didn't... Nothing, I still want nothing to do. Because that's not a part of who you are. Right. That value part of you is authenticity. And yes. you want, okay, very, very cool. Um, so you're building this friendship. You had an understanding of Jesus. Can, I don't know if you can go back. Can you, at what point in your heart did you recognize that my surface understanding of Jesus is not sufficient and there has to be um, a confession of my faith, a transformation in my life. It, did that happen in the context of that friendship? Did that happen after she brought you to crew and you got some deeper teaching? What was going on in your heart and your mind at that point? It was um, when I went to crew and other, other groups too. It was a group called 121. I remember the specific time when that happened. Okay. It was, um, I think it's in James where they say, uh, he says, so even the demons believe in shiver? The, the demons, yeah, you believe in God. What good is the, that? Even yeah. the demons even the believe demons and they believe tremble. They That's James 4, yeah, or 5, I think. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, shoot. <laughs> I believe. Yeah. That means nothing. Like, it has to be an actual relationship. And that's not when I gave my life to Christ, but that is when I started to be like, oh, well, wait a minute. What am I doing? So there came a point where you started making it very personal, and you said, like, when we talk about that spiritual continuum, that seemed to be the thing where you're like, I need to investigate this more closely. And so now you became a real seeker. Right. Like you are really thinking about this. It's, it's more than just breakfast. It's more than just a thing yeah. on the wall or a couple of holidays. This is serious. So talk about your conversion experience. Do you remember where you were, who was with you, how you, you know, what that moment was like for you? Yes. Um, it was October and we went with crew. Uh, they had a fall retreat every year. So we went to um, our fall retreat 
and I was on a dock. And it's crazy because of what you were saying about the weightlifter and feeling that. I was on a dock and I was reading and I was like, all right, it's time. Like, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Like, wow. there's no reason not to. He's here for me. Um, and so I, like, was just praying, like, all right, Jesus, like, I want you to take a hold of my life. I want your spirit to, like, envelop me. And I felt from, like, my toes to the top of my head, I felt, it's like when you're outside and it's, like, pouring rain and you have, like, sweater on you and you're, like, peel. it felt like I peeled off from, like, my toes to my head, wow. just peeled off and just an, a peace wow. residing in me mm. afterwards. So when you were talking about the weightlifter, I was like, that's crazy because that's what I, that's what I felt. Yeah. That's exactly how it was. It was just peace. Mm. And it's never left since. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's just amazing that it, it all just came from breakfast after class. Do you understand? I hope you're understanding this. Uh, Carrie's life is a product of an individual in English 103 who saw Carrie and said, that's going to be my one that I pray for, that I care for, that I invest some time, some money, some attention in. And I'm going to trust that God is going to open up a door. And he picked that unique person for you, authentic, genuine. Um, and that led to another step in the journey. And that person wasn't even necessarily there with you on the dock, right? When no, you were praying. I was by myself. Sometimes you're not even that person, but that person was faithful to say, this person is on my heart, and I will say yes to Jesus, to pray for, to care for, to share with. And I wanted you to hear that part of her story because God's putting people like that in your life that are in your English 103. And it's just these simple little steps. I mean, Carrie, you're, you're married to a wonderful Christian man. You're planted in a church. God's using you powerfully to share the gospel with other people. And now you're kind of on the other side of it. Now you are truly a disciple doing his work. What do you think, um, I, I asked her to think about this, what are some common misconceptions you think that we disciples carry with us when we think about reaching out to the lost people that we know? Your experience, you know, I, I came to Jesus as a, as a child. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, my primary spiritual influences were my parents, so I didn't necessarily have that perspective that you have of living a good portion of your life, you know, outside of a true salvation experience. What are some misconceptions you think we carry when we think about reaching out to people like Carrie was pre-Jesus? Um, so I think the, like, the number one thing is um, our perception of the person. Um, I think that, well, people tell me all the time that I'm very intimidating. And I think that before Christ, that was probably even more so. I okay. mean, I don't think that I have what people say that about me. Okay. Jean, is she intimidating? <laughs> and the fact that he answered it so quickly and boldly means maybe you're not quite as intimidating <laughs> that's awesome um so but like i was open and i think that a part of the reason that i was also open was because god was already working on me mm. through my parents my parents were praying for me constantly when wow. i went off to college amanda had no idea that that was happening she had no idea that my parents were praying that I find Jesus in college. Wow. But he was working on me, and then he was working in her heart 
to also help me. Wow. So you have no idea what like the intimidating person sitting next to you is going through because they might be extremely ready. So we have to take our like our blinders and our perceptions of people off to be able to communicate with them effectively. That's so good. And it's a reminder what we've been talking about too is that remember you're not doing this alone. The Holy Spirit he this is the field he's working in. You don't know how many people are praying over your one. You don't know uh, how long the Holy Spirit has been uh, lavishing his love out on them. We're just part of, we're out there in the field working together with him. And so it helps, I think, helps us understand too. We're, we're not lone rangers and all this. And not to just automatically assume that because someone may be a little intimidating or a little, um, might be the least likely candidate you would think of who would sit down and actually take you up on an invitation and go to breakfast and here and there sprinkle in some, some faith conversations, um, you're a product that that's not necessarily uh, the case. And so what's the best piece of advice you can offer us that will inspire each of us to continue to, to work on, to do the work of um, praying for, caring for, and sharing with the lost people that we're, that we're believing for right now? Uh, yeah, and crew, one of the things that they taught us is that if you're ordinary, you're enough, which I guess relates back to the sure. whole, like, don't be a professional. Yeah. If you're ordinary, you're enough to share the gospel. Um, because when you're sharing the gospel, it's not really you that's speaking, right? It's yeah. the Holy Spirit that's speaking yes. through you. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've sh- had a gospel conversation with somebody and I have no idea what I said because it wasn't me talking. Um, and I think that we just have to be receptive to the Holy Spirit to be able to share. And once that happens, then you don't have to worry about anything really. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Carrie, for being brave enough to share your story. I mean, I can... We got something from that. That's encouraging. That's inspiring. That's very helpful. And, and Carrie and Jean, I'm so thankful that, uh, for what God's done in each of your lives. Jean, you have a story too, you know, about what God's done. Jean's like, are you calling me up now? No, I'm not. I would give you more advance notice, but um, what God's doing in your life now multiplies because it's gone to all these other ears now. And we can take what you shared as encouragement to not give up on the one that God's put in our heart. So thank you so much for being brave enough thank to you. share. I'll put this away. And we show your appreciation to Carrie this morning. I'm so glad we got that on video and that we decided to live stream this service. That was powerful. I will be referring back to her story often um, as God continues to peel those things out in our our lives. I'm going to slide up this way. Keith and team, you can come back. Here's the challenge I want to make today. I'm going to make this bold challenge before I pray. I want to really challenge every man, woman, boy, girl, part of this church to commit in 2021 to daily, intense, sincere prayer, care, with preparations to share with one person in your life that you know that's lost. In fact, what I'm going to do here in just a moment is I'm going to give us a moment to pray. I've done this exercise a few weeks. I'm hoping that at this point most of us have a person in our life we're believing for and praying for. Okay. If that hasn't occurred for you yet, if God hasn't dropped that person in your heart, I'm going to ask again this morning that you just take a moment to pause And then I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you. Not going to ask you to come up, not going to lay hands on you, but I want to pray a prayer of commission that in 2021, that God will help you to be fruitful and focused and deeply committed 
to your work for that person, okay? As the team begins to play softly, will you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? First things first, if you're here this morning in person and you heard Carrie's story today and you're saying, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus, or you, if you're listening to this podcast or if you're watching uh, on a live stream, here's my question. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to join me in a prayer of salvation right now? Are you ready? You want that relationship with Jesus? I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to use your words. I ask you to be brave. Pray this prayer out loud together with me. I'll say just a few words. and You can repeat them after me. But I want you to own this. A simple prayer that says, Dear Jesus, I'm ready. I want to be inseparable with you. I agree that I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I confess my belief in you, Jesus. You are Lord. You're God's son. You died as my substitute. You rose from the dead and you're alive today. I welcome you into my heart. I receive forgiveness for my sins. And I surrender to your lordship and your leadership in my life. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now I want to challenge those of you that know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to challenge you to do something bold this morning. If you are willing to passionately commit 2021 to doing this kind of work over at least one lost person in your life, I'm talking about specifically by name, I want to pray a prayer of commission over you this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something bold today to make it concrete. If you're willing to say yes to that, will you just stand where you're at right now? And I'm just going to pray over you. If you'll say yes, I'm going to commit prayer, care, share over a lost person in my life in 2021. I want you to stand. I want you to make a solemn commitment between you and God that you're serious about this. I don't want this to just be a moment you can slip past. It's all over the place. If that's what your commitment is right now, you can stand. If you're watching this at home, whether you're standing or seated, do something tangible. Maybe you want to put a hand on your heart. Maybe you just want to lift a hand to the Lord. I'm going to pray an equipping prayer over you in Jesus. And if you want to receive this prayer, I want you to just do something tangible. Heavenly Father, we volunteer. We volunteer to do the work of your disciples. And I pray over every man, every woman, every boy, and, the, and every girl that's here at 520 Campbell Boulevard saying yes to you right now. That's all over this county or that's all over the world listening to this. You see the hearts, the minds, and the hands, and the feet of the ones who are saying, God, use me. Use me as your instrument to draw this person I know to you this year. I pray you will fill our heart with a commitment to pray over that person every single day. Even if it's just in our thoughts, even if in the morning and the evening, every time that that person crosses our mind, we're gonna whisper a prayer to you for them because it's setting up our hearts to be an agent of change for them. It is changing our hearts. It's making us more sensitive to their spiritual condition. And God, we commit that to you. I pray you will flood and fill our hearts, Holy Spirit, 
with your concern, with your care. We need, to be, we need to be vessels of care, of compassion, of interest, of conversation, of attention, and of time. So Holy Spirit, we're going to need you to take control because as human beings, we're not good at focusing on that. But all the power we need is not out there somewhere. It's in us through you, Holy Spirit. And so I call you to act. I call you to be active in the hearts and the souls of every person in this room. Let their spiritual hearts even right now start pounding more powerfully for you. And God, we will prepare, prepare, prepare your story and our story. When you open up little doors in these conversations we get into to be able to explain why we live the life we live. Lord, I pray that there's a testimony by the end of this year, should you tarry from every person who's committing to this prayer of an opportunity they had to give this one they're praying for the opportunity to say yes or say no to a relationship with you. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. And we want the fruit of your relationship with us to be evident in our lives. In the mighty and matchless name of Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you're willing and able, would you just all either remain standing or join me in standing? Our worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. Our pastors are going to come and, and close us out on the way out. Thank you for being. This was a good day. Thank you, Carrie, so much for sharing your story. It never gets old. Listen, you all have a story. Yes, 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 yes. We can clap for that. Listen, we all have a story. Every one of us has a story. You understand the power of that story? Your story is no less powerful. No less powerful. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is how we overcome. The blood of the lamb is what Jesus did. Your testimony is your words as to how the blood of that lamb changed your life. And you have a story and it is powerful. And no one can take your story away from you. That's why I want you to know how to get the words out because it's one of the most powerful tools God gives disciples. It's his story and your story. It's you living and breathing the results of his story in your life and then being able to put words to your own story and share in a way that's clear and authentic and sincere. You can do this. You are doing this. You can do this. And every time you do this, we win. Every time you do this. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Echo Community Church Podcast. If today's message impacted you or you want to talk about one of the topics we discussed today, email us at info at echochurchmd.com. We would love to connect with you online. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching our church name, Echo Community Church. Send a message or leave a comment to at Echo Community Church and let's continue the conversation. And if you live locally in Baltimore County, Maryland, we invite you to our Sunday worship experience. You can find out more on our website at echochurchonline.com.